with me this morning. Help me to be faithful to your word. Help me to unpack the treasures and the riches that are, that are contained there. Um, help me to, to put them out for folks to enjoy and, and for folks to, to grow um, in response to, Lord. And I pray that the people who are here who, who hear your word would come to know you more intimately and, and draw into your presence uh, just, just through hearing your word um, and being filled with your spirit through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was in college, I started out college as a pre-seminary student, and I, I did that for uh, a couple of years, um, and I, I ran into a, a huge speed bump that, that ended that. I, I took Greek 1, um, and, and I, uh, I, I will say, I, I, I don't know, I, I, every time I've ever explained this before, I've sugar-coated it. I did not do well. And I, I not only didn't do well, I, I did spectacularly poorly. Um, I, the, the professor who taught the class was, uh, I don't even remember his name now, but he went to college with my dad. And I, I remember that was a big deal because when I met him, he said, oh, I, I know you, your dad and I, we went to school here together. And it was a big deal. And, and we talked about my dad and, you know, all this stuff. And, and he, you know, so I'm, I'm in this class with him. And I was a terrible student. Okay? Like, I, I know you're shocked. I know you're shocked that I lack the discipline to excel at academics when I was 18 or 19 years old, or however old I was at that, probably 19 then. Um, I know you're shocked that I didn't immediately pick it up and speak Greek conversationally after half a semester, but I did not. Um, I, I did so poorly that when it came to the time for the final, I, I looked at it and I thought, man, I don't know any Greek and I have to take a final on this. And, and the professor, he laid out how the final would be and he said, all right, well, the translation portion of the test will be right out of the book. And so if you've translated the sentence successfully in the book and you know the vocabulary, you will do fine. Um, and, and so I backed up and I tried to memorize the, all the words and I, tried to, and I realized it wasn't going to happen in the two days I had before the final. And especially since I waited a day to start. <laughs> and, and so the night before, I sat down and I went through the book and I said, I'm going to get these right. And I memorized what every sentence looked like and what it meant. And, and actually, the professor commented that, that I got that part of the test perfect. My translation was perfect. I just didn't know how to identify words or... <laughs> or uh, conjugate verbs or anything. I mean, it was a complete disaster everywhere else. I, the average time, if I remember right, for taking this test was over two hours. I sat down, I knocked out the translation in under three minutes because I knew what every sentence looked like. And then I went through the rest of it and said, I don't know any of this. I wrote my name on it, and 15 minutes later, I was out the door. <laughs> and the, the, the dean called me in. He's the dean of students, by the way. He you know, taught this Greek class and went to school with my dad. And he sat me down and he said, all right, Eric, here's the deal. You peaked really early in that test. <laughs> and and I, I, yeah, I, you know, and, and I don't know, have you ever been in the spot where you knew you failed and you failed because of you? And, and, you know, you got no explanation. And he's like, look, you, you failed this class, you know, and you failed it by a bit. He's like, but what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to give you a D minus and you're going to promise not to take Greek again. Um, 
And I thought, and, and actually, I was like, I was like, really? He said, well, it, I'm doing it because I like your dad. You know, not because of me, mind you, not because I deserved it, but because he liked my dad. And so he gave me a D minus, and that was it. And I, I didn't take Greek again, and, and my grade point average wasn't very good. And it put me off going to seminary for over 10 years. Um, it took me about 10 years to come around and, and as a much more mature individual, um, um, you know, actually do well. And I did do well, so, you know. <laughs> Mainly because Jess was poking me with a sharp stick the whole time. Work, do your work. Anyway, um, I, I did not deserve a passing grade, right? I didn't earn it. I had nothing to my name crediting that passing grade to me. There is no claim I had on a passing grade. All I had was accept my F, because it's after the final, I can't even drop the class, right? Like, <laughs> I had to accept my F and, and, you know, lose that money and lose that time and lose everything else. The, the professor doing this was a gift. It was, it was grace, right? And it was minimal grace. Actually, it was maximal grace because I didn't deserve the D. I it deserved like an F minus. Um, and he didn't even do it because of me. Isn't that funny? He didn't do it because, Eric, you're such a good guy, or you're so charming, or what have you. It was, I like your dad, <laughs> so I'm going to not fail you. Um, anybody ever been in that, well, not necessarily that spot. I'm, I'm assuming I'm the only one ever to fail Greek in this room. All right, and I'm the one preaching. Just think about that. <laughs> but anybody ever been in the spot where you were utterly at fault for your failure, utterly in the hole for your shortfall, do not deserve it, didn't earn it, um, every opportunity to but completely dropped the ball, but somebody gave you a pass, like, like not even because you're a nice guy. Um, anybody ever been in that spot? And it's a weird place to be, isn't it? Um, I think I was politer to that guy after that than I ever was to anybody else in college. Um, what we're talking about this morning is grace, um, and that's actually what we're talking about in this series building up to Easter. Uh, the theme for the series is God did that for me. Um, and last week we talked about Abraham and, and how we can kind of see what God went through sacrificing Jesus for us. You know, that, that Jesus, God's beloved son, like, like the apple of his eye, like with him since before creation, through him all things are created, obedient, loving, he's well pleased in him, and he sent him to die for, for us, right? Um, this week we're going to be jumping into Romans, and, and the whole theme here is grace. Grace is receiving something you did not earn, you do not deserve, you can do nothing to contribute to, it is a pure gift. Um, and Romans is, so Romans is a favorite of a lot of people, you know, as we, we're going to be in Romans today. Romans is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. See, you guys probably would have done better in Greek than I did. It says Latin, but anyway, I, it's not even Latin. Uh, it's history. Um, <laughs> the, the, it's a letter that he wrote to the church in Rome, and it's an introductory letter, because Paul had this plan. And Paul's plan was to, to move to Rome and from Rome to launch missionary trips into like Spain and France and like the rest of Europe. His goal was to evangelize the European continent. 
And, and so he needed to get to Rome, and he needed people there to set him up, like so he had a place to go and sleep and people to feed him and stuff like that, so he could do these missionary journeys. And so Paul sends this letter, and Romans is a letter of greeting, but it's also a theological treatise. It is, we are on the same page, guys, right? And so Paul argues very concisely and very clearly what the message of the gospel is. And so if you want to understand the nuts and bolts and structure and the ins and outs of how God saves us through Jesus, um, Romans is the letter. But what's extra cool about it is it's not just this very technical, intelligent letter. It is passionate, Right? Paul, you can almost see him get worked up as he writes it, because it is, there's a lot to it, and it is all heart and all mind, and that is, it is a fantastic read, which is one of the reasons it's a favorite. Um, it should not, and this is important, it should not, it's a habit sometimes, folks will read Romans, and they'll slice it down as thinly as possible to use for this or that, it's it's useful for that, but like it's most useful when it's all about how we know Jesus and how we know the enormous grace that God pours out on our behalf. And so we're going to dive into this. This is my overview. In the first few chapters, he starts introducing how salvation works, right? And I'm, I'm going to up front explain it, the way that salvation works. The whole of creation has fallen, Like Eric on test day, all have fallen short. Got it? All have failed to do what God calls us to do. All have rebelled. All have sinned. All have not just sinned a little, sinned an awful lot. We have huge mountains of sin piled up behind us. And God, in his grace, not owing us anything comes down because he knows none of us can obey and none of us can fulfill and none of us can live it out. So he comes down and does it on our behalf. And he lives this perfect life as Jesus, who is, who is God's son, fully God, fully man, like lives this perfect life of obedience and having done everything required by the law is perfect and deserving no punishment, no death, no nothing. And then... He takes punishment on himself on our behalf. So every time I have ever yelled at my wife, every time I've ever had a greedy thought, which is a lot, right? Every time I have ever mistreated my neighbor or been short with my kids or been lazy and should have done something but didn't, any time I've ever sinned in any way, big, little, large, small, aware, unaware, Jesus came and he was punished for all of that on my behalf and on your behalf. Right? And that is the glorious gospel. That is the life-changing truth that, um, and literally, this is in Romans, right? Anybody who believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord is saved. Meaning, you don't even have to follow Jesus perfectly. You have to believe that he is Lord. He's boss, right? He is in charge. So I believe he is, he is my, my Lord, my boss, my, my man that I follow. I believe it in my heart, and I'm willing to say it out loud and confess it and live my life like that, and I'm, that whole mountain is washed away like it never happened, right? I mean, can you believe that? I mean, that's better than a D minus, actually, because we're actually adopted as God's sons. It's like God steps in and says, not only do you get an A, Eric, I'm going to make sure you know Greek because I'm going to learn it for you and just implant it in you. That's called like um, our righteousness we have is Jesus. Um, 
the word's escaping me at the moment. I'm sorry. I'm, um, it's probably a Greek word. <laughs> the, the, God literally puts Jesus' righteousness in us, and that's how we become righteous. He does all the work. And all we have to do is believe and follow. That is amazing. And so, like, we're going to be in Romans 5, one of my favorite little sections of this book. And I say favorite just about every time I preach on a passage, because it's all good. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, this is 5, 1 and 2. If you have a Bible in your hands, it's actually nice to follow along on the page. Otherwise, I'll encourage you to look up there. Therefore, so this is all of this argument builds up, and then Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Okay, justified means that we are made right before God. Like, and so God steps in, and he makes us right before him, and he draws us into his family. We are acceptable to God through faith, right? Faith is like belief in action. Got it? It is this way that we live out what is in our heart. Um, it is a trust and a hope in the future. Like, faith is a big word, but having faith in Christ is enough to justify us. That is it, right? It is not show up to church every Sunday. Showing up to church every Sunday is good, but it ain't going to save you, right? It is not donating to the church regularly. You can change your heart and your life by, by giving. It's the truth, Right? Um, but it won't make you right before God. It's not feeding poor people. Feeding poor people is something that we do because we love Jesus and Jesus loves them, but it will not save you. We are saved by faith, period. You trust in Jesus, you follow him, you're made brand new, and you're justified through faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, meaning that faith we have puts us in a state of peace. Right? It puts us in a state where, despite being, like, in rebellion, despite being God's enemies, um, God washes it clean and we're at peace with him. Um, I, I, knew, I knew a young man years ago who was in a gang, and he was a drug dealer and, and, a, and a, had a couple other things. He was a drug addict as well. And he, he got arrested, and he went to our rehab program for a while after spending some time in jail. And he got clean, and he got a job, and he started going to college. And I remember he came back for, for something, and we were sitting and talking, he and I. And he said, it's the weirdest thing. I was driving the other day, and I passed a cop, and I didn't freak out. And it kind of freaked me out. <laughs> because for the first time in like a decade, this guy was in a spot where he was at peace with the law. Right? I, I watched a young lady sitting on the, on the front porch of that, that program, and they brought in a drug-sniffing dog because one of the kids had smuggled in contraband. And they were going to bring the drug-sniffing dog through. And this girl was sitting there petting the drug-sniffing dog. And I said to her, hey, I bet it's the first time you could pet him because you weren't handcuffed. And she's like, Eric! Like, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> because she was at peace with the law. This is kind of what God does on our behalf. We are at peace with the Father because Jesus Christ on our behalf takes our punishment for us. Because we deserve it? No. Because you're cute? No. Because you're clever? No. Because you have a great personality? No. 
but because God is so full of grace and so loving and so amazing that he glorifies himself through forgiving us. And that is fantastic. So we have peace with God. It's going to take me forever if I keep doing this. Um, Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. Now watch this. This is a funny little verse because Paul does something sort of contrary to expectation. If you know Paul and you read Paul, usually... He says, the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the, and we all expect him to say, the presence of God, to the ear of God, to God's, you know, God's good, good side or what have you. Like, like we think of prayer, like, well, I can talk to God and enter his throne room and he hears me because I'm forgiven by grace. But he says, this grace in which we, have now stand, in which we now stand, this word access, by the way, would be like, I have access to the Queen of England. She listens to me and takes my phone calls. She doesn't. I know you're all shocked. Though I haven't tried to call her in a while. Um, But that would be the kind of access this is talking about. Meaning we have direct entry at any time we feel like it. Right? Um, it It is what my... Well, all right. But we don't have... He's not talking about this this ear of God. He's talking about grace. Now, it's easy to think of grace as this thing that we receive, right? I received a D minus, and I left grateful, and I tried to stay away from that guy for a few days because I didn't want to make him mad before the grades were submitted, right? Um, But this grace we receive is something we have access to, which means that we can come back to it over and over and over again. And not only that, we stand in it. Right? There's a big difference between... Uh, Jess and I were hiking. Years ago, we were in the Charles M. Dean Wilderness, and we, it was hot, and we were carrying a lot of gear. I remember telling my wife she wanted to bring an air mattress on this hiking trip. And I'm like, honey, an air mattress is a very poor choice for hiking, because they are heavy, right? And I said, I'll tell you what, if you want to bring that thing, you can, but you carry it. So we got lost, by no fault of mine, or hers, and we had some water-related problems where we were unable to replenish our supply of water as planned, and so we hiked all day, lost in the woods, one of us carrying an air mattress and all our gear. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to say who. Um, And in the heat, up and down these hills, trying to get oriented, and we were lost, and we ran into this guy who was backpacking. And we we, we talked to him, we're lost. Can you point us in the right direction? Oh, it's that way. Um, and we haven't had any water all day. And he reaches into his bag and he pulls out a, like a liter frozen bottle of water. And, and he could have given me like the crown jewels at that point and I couldn't have been happier. You know what I mean? And so we're walking and we're slowly like sucking on the ice in this bottle because it's very slowly melting. And we're like little sips, but every little sip was delicious. Right? But, I mean, you know when you're really thirsty and it's just sort of slowly eking out and you just want more? This standing in grace is not that. God is not giving out grace in small parcels by drip. You are standing under the waterfall of God's grace constantly and it pours over you in such a way that not only are your sins forgiven, but you are made brand new, washed clean, new skin. I remember swimming in the Dead Sea um, in January and you came out and the salt or something in the water, you came out and your skin was soft, right? I'm not a 
skincare product guy. I'm as manly as the next guy. But man, I went back in. I was like, wow, I feel good. <laughs> I, 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 it's weird, but I mean, this is a grace we stand in. This is a grace that changes your heart. That's important. It is a grace that changes you entirely, reconfigures the innermost parts of you, so that you look at the folks around you, and you have, you have a different attitude toward them. I, I am a wicked man. Like, I, I am forgiven for so much. I am so grateful that God loves me as much as he has. And one of the biggest gifts I've gotten by being forgiven the way I am and knowing that I'm, that I'm sinful and that I'm fallen is that when I meet other folks who do bad things... I got no judgment. I I don't. I can't look at a guy and say, boy, you're horrible. You know why? Because I'm horrible. And I'm forgiven by Jesus. I didn't deserve the good grade, but I got it. And so, like, one of the main things, like, like, standing in this grace, it changes us inside and out. And this is like, I mean, this is a gift. I couldn't change my heart to save my life. Like, I am bad at change. I am really bad at change. I... I, uh, for, for years, I think probably since I was in high school, I've been trying to lose weight. And I'll get into these kicks where I'll go like a week or a month eating really well. But then you know what happens? The kids bring home Halloween candy. And man, I'm pretty sure that like, like there's some sort of subliminal advertising that comes off of candy itself to make you eat it. Or like you've had a good morning so far and then somebody shows up with like a pastry and you stay away from it and they come along and they drop it right in front of you and then begin eating it slowly in front of you. What are you supposed to do? Well, honestly, my heart change doesn't work that well. I'm going to eat it, right? And the reality is that my heart change, if I try to do it on my own, I will not love my neighbor. I will not love the guy who's different from me. I will not love the guy who's judging me. I will not love the guy who trips me. I will not love the guy who punches me. I will not love... That's not who I am. And guess what? None of us are that way. The only way we can accomplish it is to stand in the flood of God's grace that we have constant access to. The more we come back and drink of it, the more it fills us up, the more it changes us. And it's enjoying and drinking deeply and filling ourselves up with that grace and that love. That's part of why we worship. Part of why we worship is we stand in God's presence and we raise up our hands and we sing... And we allow it to permeate us, and it's part of what changes us. It's also why we serve, by the way. I do not find it fun to serve. But I have realized that when I go out and do things for people, it changes me very slowly into someone better. Get what I'm saying? You want to see huge change in your own life? Find somebody you can't do it for themselves and go help them. Or next time Teal and Adam go on a mission trip, hook up with them and go to Ecuador, El Salvador... Cuba, that's it, <laughs> and, and serve with them, right? Or, I mean, opportunities to serve folks all the time. I, I'll tell you what, one of the coolest things I think you could do in this town would be to walk through the school parking lot at about 3 o'clock on the middle of a snowy day with a brush, and just brush windshields and leave with nobody seeing you. Have you ever had that happen where you come out and somebody cleaned your car or shoveled your drive? But serving changes us because it puts us in the position of Jesus serving others. And we boast, so Paul continues, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Meaning the thing we brag about is not how awesome I am, right? I cannot brag about how well behaved I am. 
I cannot brag about how, how clever I am with my tongue because I say dumb things all the time that, that hurt people's feelings, right? Like, I'm not going to be able to brag about that. I can't brag about how, how you know, much I've read the Scriptures or how much I... We don't brag in that stuff. What we brag about is the hope of the glory of God. Now, watch this. The hope of the glory of God is a hope. It's looking forward. It's believing something will come to pass. It is a faith in what God is doing. And the glory of God, God is glorified when sinners are redeemed. Got it? God's greatest glory comes about in the grace he bestows on us. Right? Like, he's glorified by everything because he's God, right? He can't help but be glorified. He's like the sun. The sun shines. God is glory. With me? But, like, when God redeems us, he is, like, like that redemption glorifies him. Honestly, he's glorified by judgment, too, but we're not talking about that right now. Um, we're talking about the, the glory we receive. Like, so when we brag, we brag. I have something to brag about, and that's that Jesus loves me this much. Not because I'm awesome, but because Jesus loves me that much, and I serve a God who is like this. Um, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. This is a bit of a complicated thing, and, and <clears throat> there's a lot of implication to it. Um, real quick, what he's saying is, he's saying, listen, not only do we brag in what God has done for us, but we experience hardship or suffering or difficulty, we back up and we recognize that it's a good thing, not that the sufferings are good, right? It's not like we back up and say, man, it's great to be sick. Man, it's great that my kids are difficult. Man, it's great that, you know, great that I don't have enough money to pay the bills. Um, we don't glory in those things. We glory in, I am getting through this because God is taking care of me. I talked to someone the other day who said to me um, that they were going through, you know, they're going through a hard time and they said, you know what? I, I can't wait to see how God gets me out of this. I'm like, man, that is, that is perseverance. That is somebody who is trusting God in the hard moment and, and, and walking in it, right? But it's not instant. We learn to deal with difficulty, and that difficulty, leaning on God in difficulty, makes us different. I went and talked to Frances the day she broke her hip. And, and I swear, that lady is cheerful, no matter what the situation. And I think she talked about Jesus while we were sitting there talking. I mean, she brought it up. If I had a broken hip, I'm not going to lie. Man, I, I get the flu, and I don't want to talk about anything but, like, why I'm dying. It's the man flu, so it's different. But, but I, I perceive that Francis is a person who's experienced a hardship, leaned on Jesus, and gotten, gotten to be a person of deep faith, and then experienced another one, and dug deeper and found deeper faith, and experienced another one, and dug deeper and found deeper faith. I haven't known Francis but six years. How many of y'all have known her more than 30 is that about right? Like she goes through hardship and her faith gets deeper. She leans on God in hardship, right? I mean, there's a great example amongst us. But that's what Paul is talking about here. He says, listen, the Holy Spirit pours out on us constantly. He's gracious and he's wonderful. He pours out. But all of this perseverance, like we go through difficulty, it creates perseverance. It gives us character. It gives us hope. And more and more so we hope. And that hope we have in eternity with God is never going to be put to shame. Um, so, 
This is the important one. This is where I'm going. Okay, guys? You see, so this hope we have, even in difficulty, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, at just the right time, I've read people who interpret that as like, at the perfect moment in history when the stars aligned and everything, it's not what he's talking about. At just the right time, comma, when we were helpless, meaning at the moment when you could do nothing on your behalf, right? When we were in the spot where we were helpless, where we could not be righteous on our own, when I'm sitting before the professor's desk with a failed test in front of me and a stack of incomplete homework, that might be the part of why I failed, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but at the moment when we can't save ourselves, when we are broken and lost and can do nothing, Christ died for the ungodly. So at the moment when we are at our least, at our worst, at our most broken, at our most incapable, Jesus died for us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Meaning, it is not very common that someone will step in front of a bullet for a good guy, right? Um, I, I, there are a lot of people I like in the world I'm not so sure I'm going to jump on a hand grenade for them, right? Like a good, good, holy, honest man. Um, he goes on, though for a good person, someone might potentially dare to die. I've read a lot of like interpretations where they say, well, good versus righteous. Good means somebody you love. So like my kids get in trouble, I might, right? It depends on how good they've been lately. I'm kidding. I, <laughs> my wife has a hard time. I'll go over broken glass to help my wife out, right? That's fine, because I love her. Am I going to go over broken glass to help a stranger on the side of the road? Yeah, maybe. Once in a while, but not every day, right? So someone, once in a while, people will die for a good person, um, or for, for a righteous person, but for someone they love or someone they're close to, folks will occasionally like give their lives up. But... God demonstrates his own love for us in this. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So all of this stuff I started out talking about, we're made righteous. We're given new hearts. God recreates us from the inside out. He pours out this grace on us just in abundance. We are recreated. We're given peace. We're justified. Everything. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning, while we were God's enemies... Christ died for us. While we were wicked, Christ died for us. While we were broken and filthy and shameful, Christ died for us. Um, I was trying to think of, of interesting perspectives or interesting ways to, to explain this. Amazing Grace, which I am happy Rebecca sang, was written by a guy who owned a slave trading ship. And he was trading slaves when he wrote it. And then he renounced it, and he spent the rest of his life and all of his fortune like buying people out of slavery and freeing them. But Christ died for a slave trader, right? Christ died for, I read, um, I, they may have been anecdotal, so I don't know if it's accurate, but I read this whole article with all these people talking about, um, who is that guy? He uh, killed an eight people in the 90s. Jeffrey Dahmer. I actually read that he found Christ in prison, and I've read quotes from him where he talks about how he lived as though God didn't exist and he could do anything he wanted. 
Like, it didn't matter. It's not wrong. And then he realized, like, that he was a monster for doing it. Christ died for that guy. Christ died for, honestly, Christ died for the worst of us. The absolute worst. And when we were the worst, Christ died for us. Like, God loves you so much that at your worst moment, at your most selfish, at your most petty, at your most wicked, at your most awful, Jesus died for you. That's astounding, isn't it? Like, and I, I, I still don't understand the depth of that. I understand it more and more the longer I live. But this is the reason, like, I can meet somebody who's awful and I don't, I, I can't feel bad about him because I know that I'm bad and Jesus died for me. And I think it's one of the reasons that God, one of the ways that God changes our hearts. I look at my kids and sometimes they frustrate me. Um, and when my kids frustrate me, I can look at them and say, you know what, I still love them. Jesus still died for them, Right? I, my biggest struggle in life right now is I, I, I've got friends who've quit social media because it's so acidic right now, right? And it's really hard for me to follow it, and I keep people that make me mad because it reminds me to pray for them. And I don't always like them, but I sure as heck am praying for them. <laughs> and you know what? I think if I do it long enough, eventually I'm going to learn how to love those people. So it'll be very easy. But, like, God calls us into this place where everything about us changes. Um, the best thing I ever did as a husband was, when I was always mad or frustrated with my wife, I would stop and I would say, Jesus died for her and Jesus loves her and I need to love her the same way. And actually, I had a good friend who would whisper in my ear, hey, you're worse. Um, <laughs> that was Michael. Um, <laughs> And he was right, and it was one of the best blessings I ever got. If you want to have a real great blessing, find a friend who will tell you you're horrible. horrible. It is a huge blessing because it's an important reminder. I can't be mad at my wife because I'm worse, and Jesus loves her, and my job is to love her. I can't hold vendetta against her because God forgave me. And who the heck am I to not forgive her? Get what I'm saying? That's a hard pill to swallow. Because it's easy to say, oh, I forgive really bad people I'll never meet. Isn't it true? I'll forgive really bad people who have never wronged me. But will I forgive somebody who will, you know, do things in my own house? By the way, my wife is awesome. She has put up with so much for me, and I'm so blessed to have her. I'm not bad-mouthing her. Um, I'm just saying, like, this is... Anyway. All right, so last section here. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more... How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Now watch this. We've been justified. We've been made right by God. We've been given peace with him. How much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? The word saved is a little complicated as it appears in the scriptures. Paul almost always uses the word saved to refer to you have died, you have been put in the ground, and God has saved you from death and saved you from judgment. Got it? Sometimes it means I've been forgiven my sins and all that, and that's an appropriate usage, but he's using it here the way he uses it about 80% of the time. Like, you may worry that your situation is untenable. You may worry that you're going to sink and drown. You may worry that you're going to die tomorrow and death is the end. But it is not the end. Because we have this hope. We're going to be saved from the wrath that we're deserved. From the F minus minus that we have coming in life. For if we were God's enemies, 
we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Meaning, we were saved when we were his enemies, right? And how much more so, like, through the life that Christ lived and is now living, will we be saved in eternity? Right? Like, you cannot escape this grace. And if you ever doubt, if you ever say, well, God, are you really going to pull me out of this? Are you really going to be there with me? I sometimes will talk to new believers who will say, I, I, I'm not sure that God is really going to save me. But the reality is that all it takes is faith in Christ. All it takes is like becoming his man or his woman, and you are saved, and you have hope for eternity, and that salvation is forever. There is, like, it is mind-boggling. Not only this, not, excuse me, not only is this so, but we also boast in God through whom our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have, excuse me, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Meaning, what do we brag about? And I'm going to hear, hear me say this, right? If you hear me brag about anything in life, you should, you should tell me to shut up and go back to what's important. What we should be bragging about is God's grace, right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was wicked, but Jesus redeemed me, and he is in the process of making me new every day. And God did this for you. And he did it for the guy next to you. He did it for the guy who annoys the heck out of you that you run into every day. You know the guy I'm talking about. He did it for your enemies. He did it for the abusive parent that like, you try to forget. He did, it for, he did it for everyone. Jesus died for the most wicked amongst us, the most broken amongst us. So it's the sick that need a doctor. Or it's not the healthy that needs the doctor, but it's the sick. And like recognizing that we're sick and that we need him and proclaiming to the world, God forgave me, God healed me, God made me new. Like is our job. That's what's worth bragging about. I might do the next section next week. I'm still on the fence about it. Um, what do we do with this? You walk out the door today. We're going to be celebrating Easter two weeks from now. Remember this, guys. This is such a huge deal. God went so far on your behalf. Jesus died for you to make you right before him. And, like, you don't deserve it. It's so much, and it's such a wonderful gift. And we can hope in eternity because of it, and it's a fantastic thing. We should be celebrating that. And we should forgive the people that we encounter because it is a wonderful thing to be forgiven ourselves. And to forgive other people is beautiful. We should love folks who don't deserve to be loved. Not the ones who are easy, but the ones who are obnoxious. You, you know who I'm talking about, right? I, I don't know who specifically you're thinking of, but I know you've you got somebody in mind, right? Like, you love those people because in doing so, we're filled with God's grace more. We draw in his presence. We stand under that waterfall. We're washed clean and, like, coming out of the Dead Sea with soft skin. We're new. And it happens every time we, like, pursue Christ, every time we fill ourselves with the Spirit. Sometimes when he drags us in kicking and screaming, which happens to me more often than I care to admit, um, my challenge to you is to live this out. Live out this grace. Live out this forgiveness. Be new because you've been made new. We're going to close in prayer, and I'll let you all go. Heavenly Father, I pray you be with us. I pray that you'd help us to, 
to recognize that when we were your enemies, when we were wicked, when we were dead in our sins, that you brought us forgiveness, that you brought us grace, that you poured out your Son's blood on our behalf and made us new people. You gave us peace, you justified us, and then you draw us into your presence. And Lord, now we go out of here and we have hope for eternity, knowing that the day that I breathe my last breath, the day that my eyes close, um, I'll step into eternity and I'll be saved from your wrath. I'll be saved from my own failures. Um, and I'll be a new creation. Um, you know, and as, the, as the song says, you know, when I've been there for 10,000 years, I'll have no less days to sing your praise than when I first showed up. Lord, help us to have hope in that, just in the enormous grace, and let you be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen.